Hi, I'm Emily Paget. This is Century 21. I know nothing about how the world works, or for that matter, how I work, outside of the context of online media. In a 2005 commencement address, David Foster Wallace spoke of the importance of awareness of the metaphorical water we swim in. I think most of us go through life unconscious of that water, of the strange circumstance of life online. So let's fix that. In this podcast, I want to explore the intricacies, the good things, the fallacies of online media. Because our lives haven't been the same since the invention of the internet, and that's pretty strange when you think about it. Let's start with something easy, online communities. This is something I'm really familiar with. It's why, ever since 6th or 7th grade, I've been so drawn to the internet, and why I've spent so much of my life on it. Like most of my peers, I started maturing in the context of online media. As a present-day 20-something, my middle school years happened right when online platforms were becoming popular. All the cool kids were on Facebook and Twitter, and my teachers were putting homework assignments on class blog pages. All school assemblies would be about problems with bullying online. The internet at this time was no longer something reserved for the nerds. It was a norm. It was cool to share your life on the internet, and it still is. Back in the day, like hunter-gatherer times, communities developed literally to help people survive. People could start farming, which would result in surpluses in food, and this led to specialization in jobs and longer lifespans. And as a result, civilizations were allowed to evolve and mature over hundreds of thousands of years into the massive cities and countries we have today. Communities are the reason the human experience is as we know it. You know that already. But my point is, so far, it's been the same process online. In the 80s, CompuServe Information Service was pretty much the first major online service. With an online chat system and forums, as well as many popular online games, CompuServe was naturally a breeding ground for online connection. Computer nerds flocked here to find that connection they felt they missed out on IRL. It was expensive though, like 30 bucks an hour, so CompuServe eventually gave way to cheaper sites like GeoCities, Friendster, and MySpace, which were then passed by Facebook and other social networking sites like Twitter, Reddit, Tumblr, LinkedIn, the list goes on. But the purpose remained the same. People went there to find the communities they lacked in real life. Now, social media outlets are popular and pretty much necessary to get by successfully in most fields. In these more corporate elements of online media, those communities remain. One Google search will result in thousands of hits of people's experiences with online bullying or catfishing or other forms of harassment. This is what we hear about in school and on the news, but the truth of the matter is most of us got our start, our social skills, our shared generational lingo through social media. For people my age, it started small. Webkins, Toontown, Club Penguin. Those websites where kids use cute avatars to play games and chat and experience life virtually. It was moderated. If you were rude, you could be banned. But kids still felt that exclusivity of an in-group. Something hard to come by in real life. But on these sites, all you had to do was sign up. And you were in. Kevin Mackler is a peer of mine at the university we attend. Like a lot of us, he got his start on Club Penguin. I think I started using the internet probably when I was seven. Club Penguin was my first like social experience. And then I remember sneaking a MySpace account for my parents because they didn't really want me to have one. 
I had that for some time, but then I got too nervous and I deactivated it. I don't really remember how I found out about Club Penguin. It was probably through a friend. But then, you know, I kind of stayed for the games. There were some good games on Club Penguin. There was like a Mineshaft one. I got really good at Metcala and I never played it in real life. I only played it on Club Penguin. I spent a few years on Club Penguin. I was probably spent two or three years. You just start to like talk to people and it's it just becomes what you do. I assume they were also all seven-year-olds. <laughs> Seven years old, just a few years before most people start puberty and begin to gain a more acute sense of social awareness. Learning to talk to people from the safety of behind your screen certainly comes with benefits. It's really hard to remember the kinds of people that, that were on Club Penguin. A lot of them were probably people like me, I'm assuming. Little, little people who are trying to figure themselves out, but they don't know that they're doing that. There was this one time where I went into the town and I saw someone, I saw a penguin, I didn't see someone, I saw someone who's a penguin sitting forward. And if you use your mouse, you can sit like bottom left, bottom right, up right, up left. But you can't sit like straight up, straight down, or straight to the left or straight to the right. So I asked this person, I said, how are you doing this? You're not allowed to, like, that's not something you're able to do. They told me how to do it, you just press S and then you move the mouse. And then all these, like, all these people who were sitting forward, they just all became my friends. <laughs> we all started hanging out regularly. We all added each other. And it was kind of like, in a way, the first friend group I ever had. Well, besides like Cub Scouts, but I didn't really like most of them. So yeah, I guess it was my first friend group where I kind of gelled with most of the people in the group. Obviously, there are many differences between online friend groups and IRL friend groups. For one, the ones online can be so much more specialized because you're not restricted to who's closest to you geographically. If you like movies or TV, you go to places about movies and TV online and you click with those people. If you like books, you find the book people. If you're on Club Penguin, chances are the people on Club Penguin are going to be pretty similar to you which can feel comforting as a kid trying to come into your own. When you sign up, you can do like written out prompts like, yes, exclamation point, and want to go to the iceberg. But then there's also like a free chat kind of option, which of course probably had a character limit, but they didn't say it. It was as long as the, the text box was on your desktop. But what was weird is that once we had this friend group going, we kind of wanted to talk more and be penguins less. And so the person who was kind of like the head honcho of the group, their username was Wowzers. They said, there's this forum that's kind of like MySpace, which is good because <laughs> I activated my MySpace and I needed my fix. They said it's this place called Pengspace and it's for Club Penguin users. And you kind of have like a MySpace-like profile and you can go on other people's profiles and interact with them. So we all made a peng space, and we had like one of those HTML chat rooms in all of our profiles, and we would just find which one people are on, and we would just talk in those. We were probably friends for like a year. And then most of them, I 
I don't know, there, there ended up being like real life drama in this group where we were mad at Wowzers because they thought they were hot shit and they weren't. And me and this uh, girl whose username was um, Stray LOLs, we started like dating and eventually it just kind of died out. And I was so into Peng Space, I didn't have time for Club Penguin, which is a little bit paradoxical in a way. So I was a, I was the kind of person who made their parents pay for like the membership because that's like I was really into it. I don't remember the prices, but it was like there was six month memberships, there were 12 month memberships. I had the six month one and probably around the third or fourth time that I had the membership, I was going on it less and I was like, that was kind of a waste of money. And I felt it and I felt like I had the urge, like I had to do it because I spent money on it, but I didn't want to play it. I guess that's when I was fading out. So probably when I was... I don't know. I might have been in fifth grade or sixth grade by then. So it was a while. <laughs> I had a lot, of, a lot of hours clocked in. The one consistency between online communities and real life ones is they all die at some point. The reasons can be similar. People grow up, move on, lose touch. People move in real life geographically. Online, they move to a different platform. Oftentimes in these situations, there's a head of the group, a community manager that everyone flocks around. For people my age, it's often a content creator, someone from YouTube or Vine, both online video platforms, or someone else who gained following that then spreads across many platforms. In communities like these, the head honcho cultivates a sense of friendship with each member in the community, some sort of relationship, but it's a one-sided one, of course. The community head decides how their audience sees them by creating a persona and sharing that side of themselves, because obviously it can be dangerous and degrading to share one's whole self online. It's like that in smaller communities, too, the more original kind where everyone knows each other, but that concept of the persona, of choosing how your peers see you, persists. Online, you type a certain way. There's a big difference between using punctuation or not, or abbreviating words in text speech or not. You choose which photos to post. You choose what your bedroom background looks like in video calls. You curate yourself, and so does everyone else. It's hard work, and when it's neglected, your persona in that online group can die. When everyone neglects theirs, the community dies. Or maybe you just grow up and move on to other online communities or communities in real life. Regardless, these online places of trial and error have certainly helped many with social awareness and knowing what to say. A lot of people though, myself included, needed other more grown-up sites for that fix of a community outside of their real life peers. Most people use the aforementioned Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or Tumblr. I think I just was a little bit more understanding of how social situations work at a younger age. Um, and you know, things you can say and things you shouldn't say. That was, I kind of feel like after that, I always had a friend group. I had a, I had a friend group briefly from people I met on Tumblr and we ended up like video chatting all the time. That was like freshman year of high school, but they helped me a lot with learning like what slurs that you would use in middle school, not knowing what they mean. They like kind of uh, conditioned me to not use it, which I'm very thankful for because I didn't understand the gravity of, of, of using words like gay as a synonym for stupid. You know, I, I didn't know any gay people at the time, so it was like I was living in a bubble, and then they popped the bubble, and I was like, thank you so much. That was really great. I'm very thankful for them. But I'm not really in contact with any of them either. There's 
like probably one or two people from these friend groups who who I've ended up having their like Facebook or their Snapchat or something. I don't necessarily keep in touch with them, but sometimes I'll like reply to their snap stories or some something like that like i'm still a person you're still a person we can interact but we're not gonna be friends as like a normal basis that last bit i'm still a person you're still a person that's a really hard concept for a lot of people to grasp i feel like like that's what all those school assemblies on online bullying are about there are people on the other side of the screen when we're kids on Club Penguin, that doesn't always immediately register. I don't really think it hit me until I was on Pang Space, because then we would talk about, like, our role in the real world. I don't remember this guy's name. I, I think about this a lot. I try to remember this person's name quite often. He really liked the show M.A.S.H., and that's all I remember of this one person from my Club Penguin group. That's when I started to realize. I was like, oh, I don't even, I've never seen MASH before. That's a real person. They're not watching George Lopez and Nick at Night like I am. They have other interests. It makes you think how that would, how that would happen in real life. Like, if you knew those people for real, would you ever have even become friends with them, first of all? And would how they act and their intentions be the same? It's hard to wrap your mind around it. Is who you are on the internet who you are in real life? The concept of creating yourself is an attractive one. In real life, you are who you are no matter how you try to express yourself. It's hard to escape the box you were put in when you were young, when your family and friends and neighbors in real life were getting to know you. Escaping to an online community is like going to college or moving to another country or becoming part of the witness protection program. You can reinvent yourself. It's fun and it can be dangerous, but above all, it's liberating. Another friend of mine, I'm not going to use their real name, but let's call them Z, has also had experiences with online communities, but in a very different way. In a recent interview, Z spoke about how their community helped them realize their identity. I became an admin on a Facebook page called Everything Nerdy and Anything In Between. It's just like a giant... We have 20 admins, we just post nerdy content, memes and TV shows and stuff. But I've been an admin on that since I was a sophomore in high school, so on one hand there's this persona I've had for this Facebook page for five and a half years now, and it's weird to keep up that persona of Captain Arwen. It was Arwen at first because I was a Lord of the Rings fan, and then somewhere along the way Captain got added, which I think was a joke from the other admins, so... They just refer to me as Captain now. I'm like, this is great. I love being called Captain. My friend Z grew up in a very socially and politically conservative household, so when they learned they may not fit the norms for gender identity or sexual orientation, they were stuck. They couldn't talk about it with anyone for fear of word getting back to their parents. And Z didn't know what would happen if their parents found out. Becoming a part of this Facebook fan page and the built-in community of like-mindedness on top of the anonymity it came with changed that for Z. I don't even see Arwen as a different version of myself because that was the first place that I could be honest because it wasn't tied to me, my parents didn't know it was me, and they didn't know about the Facebook page, period. So I could do and say things and rant and talk about social justice ideas and queer ideas and things like that, feminist theory. I could talk about that on that Facebook page before, I could talk about it really at all that much in my real life. And people who know me now, that's like stuff I talk about all the time, but back then, not at all. So in some ways, Arwen was the first real presentation of myself, social media or not, which has been an interesting thing for me to carry forward. 
I'm a writer, so something that comes along with that is if I want to write good poetry, it needs to come from a place of honesty inside myself, and from a place of me being willing to share very deep parts of myself with other people in the public, so I'm just used to being upfront with these aspects of myself when I'm at college, which also helps me cope with not being able to be upfront with it at home. It gives me a release. Again, you get to choose who you are online. You get to curate yourself. Not that it's always a bad thing, like with Z. Z grew more comfortable with who they are through this curation and anonymity online. So, back to Kevin's question. Is who you are on the internet who you are in real life? How can we, as people who began maturing in the context of online media, know? How can we know if who we are online and offline are the same person? When we first started using the internet, we were first beginning the process of figuring out who we were as people. If we had begun that process outside of the context of the internet, what kind of people would we be now? Would it be different? Or would it be the same? I think that's going to be a central theme of this show. This podcast is a product of Advanced Topics in Storytelling, taught by Bob King at University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Thanks to Kevin Mackler and Z for their contributions to this episode, as well as Shanice Asia for use of Z's interview transcript. This episode was written, edited, and narrated by me. It was recorded by Cameron McCormick. Music is by Matt Carlson. You can find him at wilddomesticofficial.bandcamp.com. If you have suggestions for episode topics, go to century21.blogspot.com. Spelled out, that's C-N-T-R-Y, number two, number one, dot blogspot.com, and go to submit. Thanks for listening.